welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer at Belonging Pioneers. And me, Kami Nuttall, founder of Culture Lab Consultancy. Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do. You want to create success through connection and belonging, and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work. And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realize a culture of inclusion for all. How to create the experience of belonging at work is currently a hot topic for many organizations. In our experience, these organizations have good intentions, but they struggle to create a culture in which colleagues who are not from the majority group experience being seen, heard and actually feeling a part of the organization's family. In this podcast, we're going to tackle that topic head on, the topic of belonging at work. And we're going to explore how unconscious privilege gets in the way of creating the belonging culture for everyone, that culture that's critical for an organization's success. I'm delighted that the extraordinary Ms. Shireen Qureshi is joining us to share her experience on this episode. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast, a podcast by Belonging Pioneers and Culture Lab Consultancy about the questions and ideas around the hidden barriers to achieving our DEI and ESG goals. This is where we explore and test out our ideas with amazing guests who are making the difference that makes a difference. You have the opportunity to have your say and share your views on this topic. Remember to head over to our research survey. The link is in our description after you have listened to this podcast and make sure you contribute to our shared knowledge base about the impact of privilege at work. Shereen Qureshi was until recently a senior director at Barclays, where she worked with Jeremy Wilson, the vice chairman for corporate banking and other senior stakeholders. Shereen's favorite accomplishment while she was working as a marketing director at Barclays was that she planted the seed for Women's Super League, what we all get to enjoy now. So thank you, Shireen, for doing that. Since leaving Barclays, Shireen has founded the Sports Tech Global Conference and is using her banking skills to set up a Sports Tech Global Fund called the Less Tech Fund. The Less Tech Fund, what a great name. It reflects the name of her co-founder, Les Ferdinand. As someone who has both good and not so good experiences of belonging at work, I'm thrilled that Shireen is going to share with us her experiences on this podcast. Our listeners who are here because you see the value of a belonging culture can have some concrete next steps that you can take back at work to move this conversation forward. So let's get stuck in. Shireen, it's so lovely to have you here. Really good to see you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, lovely to see you both wonderful women. Um, I'd say massive, massive congratulations. It's great to see that we are moving in the right direction. Um, yes. And I think it's uh, it, when we hear the collective voice, it would make a difference. And, and so, this yeah. is it, isn't it? This is, this is it, the collective voice. And, you know, you, you've talked, you, you, I know you're, you have these really amazing experiences um, around belonging. And I'm so 
so um, eager to actually get into that conversation with you. So I wonder if we could just start with warming up a little bit. So perhaps you could sort of share with us and our listeners, you know, what your personal experience of belonging in an organization you've worked with or been associated with. How would you how would you draw that out? How would you how would you share that experience? A really, really good question, Cammy. Now, I've um, the institution that I work for has 85,000 employees. Oh. So you can imagine that's just a large number. Um, and I've always struggled when it came to belonging. And I believe the struggle came from the fact that there's two different cultures, the home culture and the work culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that when you look and feel different, um, it's, it's always, um, what's the correct word to use? I would say it, it's an obstacle because you always have to explain yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, the awareness piece comes from your explanation. Mm-hmm. But obviously, um, I, I feel that it's a lack of education. Sometimes um, at the very early onset of my career, I found that there wasn't, uh, there wasn't many bankers that looked and felt like me. You know, mm-hmm. this is a Muslim woman wearing a headscarf. You know, she is wearing a suit. You know, she's not wearing um, and modest wear. But the knowledge and the expertise are equivalent to my colleagues. But certain acts of worship, um, mm-hmm. certain things that I would do were different. And I also found that it was difficult for me to constantly explain. Um, and I blame myself for that at times. I believe it's probably my, my confidence um, but yet, when a large institution you're working for, I, I personally believe um, that it's down to your leader to create that space yeah, and that space yeah, of yeah. Um, that, that that space that gives you that confidence. Do you, do you know it's it's really easy to start sort of working, sort of diving into the 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 things that make us a little bit different and that that contribute to the, those experiences. I wonder wonder if you could share what your best personal experience is. You know, when did it work? What did that look like? The working piece, I would say, um, was when I built my own confidence. Yeah. You know, proudly yeah. started sharing, for example, during Ramadan, um, you know, colleagues uh, would try and participate, you know. So you'd have colleagues that would say, we, we would want, I, mean, I know that EY are doing a phenomenal job at the moment during Ramadan. Uh, I've seen it through their socials. But when colleagues 10 years ago said, we want to trial out this fasting, mm-hmm. you know, this in, they called it the intermittent fasting. I think that was, uh, that was great because they're putting themselves in your shoes. Yes. Um, I think when we, uh, when we had World Hijab Day, for, for instance, um, and you see some of your colleagues come in and they've made the effort of purchasing a hijab. And I brought a couple of mine, uh, my scarves in and wow. said, this is how we pin this. This is yes. how I wear this. And, and also the maintenance, because what people don't know is that you still need to maintain your hair. You know, you, uh, I spend an awful lot of money at the hairdresser. So it's, um, it's, it's all these little add-on pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and parking that aside, it's the food that we eat as well. So when we have cultural food day, um, I would bring my bits of food that we, that we have at home and everyone brings their piece of food and we, we share that. And I thought that was bringing your teams together, the involvement uh, and the positivity. And sometimes we're learning. For example, we sat there one day saying, how many dates can you name? There's the Majula date, there's a Persian date, you know, there's, wow. uh, yes. and I yeah. think those little 
little things that make a difference. It's just the little things that make so, a difference. So that's really interesting because those are those are those those things call to say the personal behaviors of individuals, right? As in, like yes. they, there's a the the people around you, perhaps you know they're they're interested, they're engaged, they they want to they want to support you. Um, and, and they're making uh, their own effort in, in showing that support. And I wonder if there's any kind of sort of wider factors that are important as well, you know, like environmental factors or organization factors. So I, so what I mean by that, Shireen, is, you know, people engage with their environment. So the environment must be enabling, right? So, so what is it about the organization itself that enabled that sense of belonging to, to, to be experienced for you? Uh, um, one of my earliest memories, and I'm fond of this, is when I'd seen a poster in one of Barclays branches where it said Eid Mubarak, you know, Happy Diwali. You know, so it's, it's those little things when you yeah, can see nice. literature, visual yeah. aid, it makes a difference. You know, you, you think, oh, wow, there's a poster that's up there. And, and to yeah. the fact that I actually rang that branch and said, um, and I'm working for the same institution at the time. I actually said, where was that printed? You know, where, where do I go on the internet? Where can I find one? Because I would like to print one off as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I found that, that that particular moment, it may be the smallest thought, but it, it made a huge, uh, I'm using the word difference quite often now, but I yeah. feel it, it's that visual because you look at that and you think, oh, that's a celebration. And, and I feel that in large institutions, rather than sometimes, you know, go, talking about different cultures, it's showing that little appreciation, like yes. you do, you know, sending a Christmas card, you know, electronic thank you. It could be an electronic Eid card, uh, electronic happy birthday. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, or even rewarding, you know. Um, I, I would love when someone was to say, you know, well done here. But, um, your reward today is a nice, beautiful scarf, hijab. You know, something, something like that. I think that goes the extra mile. It shows appreciation, doesn't it? It shows recognition, so it shows appreciation. It fundamentally shows you're valued as an, as an individual there, as a human being. Absolutely, absolutely. One of our um, great leaders once said, bring your whole self into work. And I'm a firm believer that, that that just one statement became a hashtag in our institution. And everyone oh, like started chanting there, you know, hashtag bring your whole self into work. Um, And don't leave half of yourself at home. So um, for me, that was a moment where it grew, my confidence grew. Yeah, yeah. So so there's something in that. Can I just unpick it just slightly in that, you know, bringing your whole self to work is such a powerful statement, right? Shreen, isn't it? Absolutely. Right. So it's it's a powerful statement. And and organisations... I, I think when we say bring your whole self to work, and and what you said was, it was that this this particular leader who said that to you, and that makes all the difference, right? Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be a leader who supports you to be able to bring your whole self to work. That well, makes that work. That's um, a really interesting point, right? Because I don't know if you read our blog recently, Sharon, where we're talking about the impact of being told to be your authentic self at work on people in minority groups is that it can be challenging because they can have behaviours that don't fit the expectations of the majority group. 
And so when they're told to bring their whole self to work and they bring that behavior in, it actually gets criticized or talked about yeah. in a negative way. So I'm curious, how did Barclays get over that in a structural way? Uh, that's a very interesting question. And, I, and I, I'll just reflect with my department, you know, because I think it's key. We're a very, very large institution and, and um, you know, different frameworks for different departments. Um, you know, one, one of the things when we say bring your whole self into work um, from a leader's perspective is, you know, one of the things that we implemented with my team, um, dress down Friday. You know, um, so normally you, you'd go in your corporate attire, uh, uh, you know, Monday through to Thursday. This is prior lockdown. Um, and then on a Friday, the dress down, cultural wear. So I would see my um, Nigerian and Ghanaian colleagues bringing, you know, wearing yes. what they would normally wear, the, the different head attire, the, the, the dresses, the different shirts. Um, you know, I, I wore my abaya. You know, it was just nice see everyone wearing something different and that almost shows that you know bringing your whole self to work yes um you know we have it's almost a uniform your corporate yes. clothing yeah. wear but when you can wear for example what you're wearing today it's really nice you know embroidered top you wouldn't really be wearing that you know Monday to Friday in a corporate environment but when you're allowed to do that it makes you feel comfortable they can see the colors your personality who you are your makeup and DNA yeah no that's beautiful so Shireen how about behaviors I'm curious about how different cultural behaviors were accommodated for reflecting back again you know and I'm, I'm talking about my um you know, former um, employment, they um, created groups. So there was um, mm. the Asian Professional Forum. Uh, we had the, the Black Professional Forum, the Jewish Forum, the LGBT Forum. So there were little forums created where employees could, uh, they, they would volunteer to be part of this particular forum. And newsletters would go out. So, for example, um, the Muslim form, uh, the forum had weekly updates, weekly reminders, we'd call this. And we, we all took turns. So there was a week when I felt it was important to talk about, you know, kindness. And I took a, a few things from the Hadith. And, you know, no, I'm not, it's not something that you, you're converting anyone to Islam, but just showing them the, you know, just parts of what our religion uh, or the makeup of our religion would bring to um, to our working environment. Beautiful, beautiful. So I just want to get into this a little bit more. So I have found this I, in my own experience and observation, but also in all the clients we work with, um, people apply stereotypes, right? So very yeah. often... I, as an Asian director in my organization, was often told you need to be more assertive. Right now, in my world, I was being assertive. I got everything done that I needed to get done. People were happy working with me. I just maybe was less directional than some of my white colleagues. Right. So that's yeah. one example. And, and that makes you feel like you don't belong. Right. The other example that I've observed is where you've got a senior black director of African origin, for example, 
and they tend to speak more loudly. They tend to use more gestures and they are labeled as being aggressive, right? Okay. And then yeah. that, them feel like they don't belong. So how did you see any of that where you worked? And if you did, how was that managed structurally so that people did not feel that they didn't belong? That's, that's a really critical question. And I resonate to both of the examples you've given me there. Um, and I felt that on numerous occasions uh, where uh, I would say, you know, for example, uh, there was a time when I was uh, delivering a presentation and, you know, you, you tend to move your hands because, you know, you can't, I wear the hijab so I can't flicker my hair or anything. Um, but it's, uh, it, it was the feedback, you know, that um, there was too, it wasn't the aggression or anything, but it was uh, that this presentation was being recorded. And then after we, we watched the presentation after the, um, the whole session um, and it was body language. Now, I had to explain to my leader regarding my body language why I like moving. Mm. Um, I don't like being static in one place. Uh, I was moving because it, 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 it helped me with, um, with my confidence. Yeah. You know, the, that, that was one. Um, and, and secondly, I said it was similar to when a person is playing rugby and they're doing the hacker. For me, movement was that hacker and the hand movement is almost mm. um, the, the way of me explaining or trying to get certain points across. I wouldn't call it, he called it sign language. He said there, there was too much of those fingers, not the hand, but the finger movement. Right. Um, and I said, it's not sign language. It's me. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes it's, you, you don't realize when you're doing this, it's just, um, it's like a knee jerk reaction, but that's me where I can't mm -hmm. play. You'll see a lot of women when they are, um, you know, doing, dealing with presentations, they flicker their hair. You know, they've got something. I couldn't do that. So I've, my way of my confidence is moving my hands. So well, I I, you know, I see it as your body is also speaking, however that might yes. be, as well as your, your voice is speaking. So you're, you're articulating, you're sharing, you're speaking up with your whole self. So I'm yes. doing this. I'm, you know, my, the audience can't see me, but I'm sort of waving my hands around to illustrate as well. And I feel like it's, your body needs to speak as well, doesn't it? So, and that yeah. is bringing the whole self to work, right? Yes, that's yes. Self to work. So, if you're telling me I shouldn't do that, then you're telling me I can't be myself. Mm. Mm. I've got to conform to that majority group standard of what's good. Absolutely. I think sometimes it's pre-improvised. You know, leaders have a certain standard, so they ex their expectation is on a high level. Yeah. Um, I yeah. remember when we went into lockdown, we went on a course on how to actually conduct interviews on Zoom. Mm. And I thought that wasn't really necessary, yeah. you know, in my opinion, because, you know, we don't need to have those training sessions. We don't need to have those lessons. Mm -hmm. um, just be yourself because everybody's in a similar situation. You, you know, you said you, you, you mentioned you, you're saying these high standards. Um, I recently was in a conversation with somebody who, and we were talking about these standards, you know, hyphenated standards, you know, what are these standards? And the way I see it is, these are what we as society and the society in companies, mm -hmm. through employment, through leadership, we have these things, ideals that we value. 
And then these values are these ideals that we value are set by the majority group. And everyone else has to meet those values and those ideals. Yeah. But actually, actually, you know, if we were really bringing our whole self to work, we would value the difference, the different ideal, the different, you know, that is the top for those people who are different to the majority. Exactly. Right. I just I, as I say, it, I feel like I'm warming up, you know, that there's an emotion attached to that. Yeah, I feel like I'm getting like quite worked up that Shane was told she couldn't. Quite. Yes, exactly. I'm quite worked up about that. So um, I'm curious now um, my mind's going to. So what do organizations need to do so that people can genuinely bring their whole self to work? and be accepted for that whole sale, whole self, so that they can actually have this sense of, okay, I belong here. I'm, you know, I'm a part of this. I'm, I'm a part of this organization's family and I've got my quirks, you know. What do organizations need to do in order to accomplish that? Mm. that that's um, me. My number one route to all of this is the Stronger Mentor-Mentee Programs. So this is where senior leadership could engage with, uh, I'll use the word grassroots, you know, there's different leagues within institutions, when I say the different grades, um, employment grades. I think that's really, really important, you know, so partnering people from, you know, if if there's, for example, me, maybe with um, another colleague from a different department, you know, from from the institution. So we are constantly learning. Um, one another's values mm-hmm. so I always say number one should be that mentor mentee um, uh, so there should be a solid program in my opinion uh, the second is uh, an educational piece because yeah. you know it's, it's um, you can't wear well, one glove doesn't fit all you know we're all very different uh, beings and I also find that you know you it, take an interest in in your team individuals in your team so when you are conducting those one-to-one meetings, when you are discussing performance framework, it's really important not just to, the generalistic question would always be, how are you, Shireen? Mm. It's take a little bit more interest. So what does this month mean to you? You know, what, what are you doing this month? You know, what, uh, what does this mean? Because it's not just the month of Ramadan. We have two Eids in, in a year. So, you know, what, what does this mean? Are your family going on pilgrimage? You know, like we do when we, when we discuss bereavement, when we discuss holidays, mm. pets, um, you know, home improvement. It's really important to get find fact finding on the team that you're working with. Because if you don't know your team, and I can put this hand on heart, that many leaders only knew me by Shireen Qureshi and her work ethics. Wow. Nothing beyond my work ethics. They, they didn't, I, if you would ask them, you know, what's Shireen's favorite color? They'd probably say white because I wear a white hijab. But um, I think that's key. Yeah. No, there's some really good points. Can I summarize that? I think I think there's three, you know, I think, um, you know, what I've just taken away from this, because I think it's really important that we just frame it in the way that you've just uh, you've just shared, Shireen. So I took away strong mentee mentor program that starts with grassroots. You know, we don't most mentor mentee programs start at the higher level of the organization. But let's start bringing up people from the grassroots in the organization. And that's actually, you know, the bigger the organization the more we need to consider those structures, right? Yeah, um, point on that, which is what I heard in what Shireen said that was really interesting mm. 
is it's reverse mentoring. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there is some skill. It's like a dialogue rather than mentoring in a way, isn't it? Because I'm getting to know you, you're getting to know me um, in a mentoring relationship. So a fairly senior person in the organization is meeting the grassroots person. But, you know, I've heard this being done so that senior people can learn about technology, but yeah. actually it can be done so that senior people can learn about culture, different cultures and get to know and get themselves educated. Hmm. I, I suppose just on that point, and Shireen, I'd love to know what you think about this, because um, there's also a risk of, associated with this approach, this reverse mentoring. And I think it's worth just mentioning that, that the risk. And that is, you know, people are tired of educating the majority group, yet a reverse mentoring program for it to be successful requires some element of education from the person who is at, in that grassroots position. So how do we how do we mitigate that? How do we, you know, navigate that so that actually it's not a tiring conversation. It's actually one that is interesting, engaged, and you know, I think it takes to your third point about being interested in the person, being interested in their difference and wanting to really learn. And then that person who's who who has a difference to the majority group can, you know, feels confident they can share. Yeah, absolutely. I I so the example that I gave very earlier on is having those those days where, you know, the, the cultural days bring your food in, dress down yeah, days where you can wear yeah. what you what what you would normally wear. You know, some people I remember me growing up, I would come home, remove my uniform and into my attire, you know, and, um that mum that would mum would iron and you wear that. So the those little things is um that when you're able to display that it's understandable, you know, when you get a group of us doing the same thing. And yes. it's quite interesting to say, um, you know, this this is, you know, I had a colleague who's from Vietnam and she wore a really nice outfit. And I said, that looks quite Indian to me. Mm. It was a silk outfit. Yes. It's little, it, I keep using the word the little things, but if we take action on the little things, the bigger things would just take place. I find that there's a neglect at times, you know, they, yeah. uh, yeah. they, the, the focus becomes something else mm. or the focus becomes on one particular group, you know, so it, yes. it's um, the inclusiveness, bring everyone together. Yes. Um, I think um, the only way large institutions will make a change is when we have the senior heads believing in that change. It's, it, it removes the tick box exercise. We're and really I think that goes with. to our second point, I think that you made, which is the education piece. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we, we, the education has got to start from the top. Yeah. You know, a lot of education programs start at the grassroots levels. Actually, yeah. we want something top down and bottom up, integrated, um, you know, holistic. Yeah. So Sharon, yeah. I remember you sharing with me about your, how you formed your relationship with Jeremy Wilson. And I think, yeah. That's a really good example of the mentor-mentee relationship. Would you mind sharing that with, with our guests? Absolutely, absolutely. I'll keep this super brief for everyone. Um, now, I never reached out to anyone from Mentum, especially uh, at the vice chairman level. But what I was really keen, and this all happened, um, you know, to na organically, naturally, uh, during the year of the centenary, in my mind was, what do I do? It's a bit 
like this year it's the jubilee year and i'm climbing kilimanjaro mm. uh during that period uh i reached out to the military a lot of my friends were in the military and they were retiring because they come to the end of their career and the military do retire quite early at the age of 35 plus so um we we collectively came up with the initiation of um let's run a field gun and i knew what field gun was because i'd grown up born and raised in the northeast and we had tournaments there and my parents would take me to watch these tournaments and i knew that it was it was a huge challenge so it took me several months in terms of training and obviously not an easy challenge because these are three big cannons that you uh my goal was to bring them into canary wharf south india key we would bring the military within the military of the army the navy the royal engineers wow. so bringing those teams together getting these t-shirts printed obviously the compliance side of things it took away a lot of my energy you know but i i i was adamant and persistent to make sure that we um have this field gun challenge at canary wharf so when this field gun challenge took place i a few of my colleagues put this up on the internet you know this is happening in south india key literally five minute walk from head office from mm. one church to place these are the timings you know come and observe this um i remember one lunch period there wasn't a lunch period but i remember just going out in level 3 giving out leaflets um i held things such as uh you know caffeine free mondays just to raise money for the military I wasn't aware and I'll be honest with you that the charity that I was supporting was a charity that the vice chairman was a patron member and I say this to this day there was uh, I I did this from uh, I chose a charity based on their values mm. so I um yeah so the, the charity field uh, field gun took place and out came Jeremy Wilson and I remember that that morning I was very nervous one because I was participating um there's quite a big crowd out there we had three big cannons the security etc cetera, etc cetera. and i thought i was in trouble i actually thought i was in trouble uh and any come out and he said a few words and and on my return i received an email from his pa and and it said jeremy would like to see you on the top floor which is the executive suite and i've never been to the executive suite i i actually forwarded that email on to my line manager he said Uh, what have you done now and i said I, i followed all protocol i went back on all my field gun protocols i did this i did this i went governance on this printing did this i i was backtracking trying to find faults on, mm. on the work that i did uh, not really knowing the bigger picture so when i went up there i was quite nervous i remember taking printouts of emails testimonials the money that i raised i could feel the sweat trickling down my back Jeremy called me in and his words were um and I remember to this day it, you know diamonds are made under pressure ah. uh, and I think at that moment I was at ease he once <laughs> thanked me for the field gun challenge he said you know thank you for um you know th- this is you know a brilliant exercise you know brilliant to see you participate the money that you've raised the hard work determination so he he said all of this which is you know made me feel great I was on top of the moon and then he said who's your mentor and i i didn't have anyone at that stage and and i was honest i said mom and dad <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and he, he he then said come and see me every month let's put this in the diary nice said, let's, let's see how we can um build this relationship from here it's and wonderful. that that was 
that was very later. I would say the later stage of my career. Mm. It was. It was. Uh, my learn is don't wait around for these things to happen. Yeah. Go out there and ask for mentorship. If it's not happening, go and ask for it. Because I, I didn't, you know. And, and you heard my answer when the, the vice chairman said, "Who's your mentor?" And I said, "Mum and Dad." Um, because that wasn't on the the hierarchical bucket list. Yeah, yeah. You know, mum and dad are mum and dad are a given. They're all, <laughs> yeah, that's a given. That's a given. <laughs> so, so for any of our listeners who are looking to find a mentor, what I'm hearing from you, Sharon, is um, actively seek. But if, if you don't want to actively seek, follow your passions, stick with your values, mm. and something will open up. Yeah, absolutely. It will just happen organically. Um, I feel um, when I look back at those days, um, I feel the fear factor that I had, the lack of confidence. Um, I was anxious. I was finding faults within myself. And I think um, if I was to change the way my personal behavior was, it was self-belief. Yeah. Um, always mm-hmm. believe in yourself because you know nobody's perfect. What was I trying to prove? You know, I, and it's and this is the fact that when I say the proving part is that we have so many frameworks. You know, we we have to follow so many compliance regulatory stuff that you become one of those yeah. pieces of framework. And everything that you do, you start doubting yourself. Am I doing this correct? So this field gun, which is a marvelous event. It was very entertaining. It was challenging, teamwork, working with the military, and I'm going with the same team again up to uh, uh, you know the Kilimanjaro climb. So it was brilliant. So that's the second lesson, really, is go out and do activities that that you care about and practice and develop your skills around teamwork, overcome that fear. So there's there's yeah. some. So that those are good lessons for an individual. I'm kind of seeing, I'm trying to extrapolate this, Sharon and Cami, into what can an organization do? Mm. And I'm seeing this really kind of innovative system where you have the mentor-mentee relationship. And I, I think it's I think it's not traumatic because it's a two-way exchange. Right. So if you can set it up as a two way exchange where the more junior person from the underrepresented group is getting the benefit of mentorship, understanding how things work in the organization, being taught some skills. And then the senior mentors learning about the culture and being really interested. Right. So they're educating themselves and then they can go back. And um, I don't, I haven't, this is being created, everyone, as we speak. This is going to be one of our offers that we're going to provide, I think, which is a way for the, to capture the knowledge of those mentors mm-hmm. and share it across, right? So then it's not yeah. about, you know, um, oh, I'm mentoring an Asian woman and this is what I've learned. That's not what it's about. It's about these are things that different human beings are dealing with. These are things that that are natural for some human beings to do and just start to accept people for who they are. And um, I think structurally there's something in that, Cami. We should work that one up. Yeah, definitely. Something to explore. I, I, I Actually, in fact, let's invite our audience, our, our listeners, if they've got any ideas on this, please 
you know, get in touch, send us your thinking, your thoughts, your reflections on that. Yeah, anything you've done that's worked really well in that regard, um, you know, that we can share with our other listeners and and uh, they can take benefit. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our intention is to bring you new insights about the impact of power, privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organization. You can check out our episode description for social media accounts and don't forget to send in your questions and you can send those to our email equitychampions at belongingpioneers.com. We look forward to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Cami said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.